John chapter number 17, starting with verse number 1. The Bible says, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, Lord, as we come into your house. Father, as humbly as I know how, I pray that you'd forgive me of all my sins, Lord. Father, I pray that you'd cleanse my heart. I pray, dear God, that you would uh, give me that anointing from on high to preach your word, dear Lord. Help me to do some justice to this chapter, dear God, this great uh, prayer that that is uh, recorded in Scripture, Lord God. Nothing more beautiful. Father, I pray that you'd help me, dear God, as I want to glorify you with everything, Lord. Bless this time. Bless our hearts. Draw us closer to you. And help us, dear God, to be equipped to take this gospel to a lost and dying world. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to John 17, we come to the absolute pinnacle of what of Christ's earthly ministry. When I say uh, the, the pinnacle there, apart from Calvary, there is no more intense, no more passionate, uh, and no more powerful chapter uh, recorded in all of Scripture when we come here to the Lord Jesus Christ and His prayer uh, on behalf of, of uh, Himself. He prays, and this chapter can be broken down uh, really into three areas there. It deals with the, the first five verses that we'll try and look at tonight is Christ praying for Himself, the prayer for Christ. Uh, he prays to glorify God. When we get to uh, the next cha- uh, verse 6 down through verse number 19, you have pray, uh, Christ praying for His companions. He's praying for the disciples. And then the remainder of the chapter, you have uh, Christ praying for the church. It is absolutely beautiful. This chapter should rightly be titled the Lord's Prayer. Now we look at that and we think about the Lord's Prayer as recorded in Luke 11 verses 1 through 4 where His disciples say, teach us to pray. And He goes on to give them the, the, the model prayer that we refer to there. But that should be more. Uh, that should be more accurately titled the uh, the disciples' prayer than the Lord's prayer. Reason being, there were certain things in that prayer that were said in Luke chapter number eleven that Jesus Himself could not have said there or would not have applied to Christ there. Uh, as for example, when He said, uh, "Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those. Uh, uh, forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who are debted to us." What He was saying there again, uh, that should have been the disciples' prayer because Jesus had no sin to to ask forgiveness for. But when we come to John 17, well, we, we come to the, the uh, absolute peak of Christ in, in, his, in his prayer, in His ministry, His earthly ministry for, uh, on, on behalf of the disciples. We know that they, are, they have walked down. Uh, they're, they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They come to that place. And he begins to stop, he stops, he begins to look up and to pray on behalf of those disciples. And he begins to speak there, uh, just absolute intimacy. Uh, It can be rightly put there, it can be rightly placed together. If you think about the work of a priest there in the tabernacle, uh, the first 12 chapters of John would signify that outer court. That's where it was a public ministry, it was given to all. 
When you get to John chapter 13, uh, down through chapter 16, you have that inner court of that holy place where the priest would go in there. That was only for the disciples. Remember, uh, from John chapter 13 down through 16, as we've looked at, Christ no longer dealt with His public ministry. He no longer dealt with the multitude. He was dealing with that handful of disciples there. Again, the the Bible says we're a royal priesthood. We're a peculiar people. Uh, We've been set apart there. That speaks of those priests being able to fellowship in that holy place there. But when we get to John 17, what we have is a beautiful picture of that great high priest going into the Holy of Holies and interceding on behalf of the people. Remember, just one time a year, in the tabernacle, just one time a year in that temple, could that high priest go in there. Had to be the day of atonement, had to be with blood, had to be that sacrificial lamb there, that that Passover lamb, and and that priest would go in there and he would pray, uh, asking forgiveness for his sins and asking forgiveness and interceding on behalf of the people. It was a great time of intimacy. Uh, It was the only time that man was allowed to approach God, and now we have the Lord Jesus Christ doing that. He is interceding on behalf of His disciples before Calvary, Men could not come to God. That's why that veil set up and separated that holy place from the most holy there. Because of our sin, it had simply been pushed off. It had not been paid for. That sin debt, that's why those sacrifices kept having to be made day in and day out, year after year there. It wasn't until Christ came and made that ultimate sacrifice and laid that thing down once and for all that it allowed us access into the Father. Now, as we come to this prayer, And we look here, Jesus praying for Himself. It is absolutely beautiful. We'll look at it in detail. But I want you to notice tonight, when Jesus is praying for Himself, He makes one simple request. The only thing He asks out of this whole prayer is that the Father be glorified. His whole concern is that God the Father is glorified there. He has no asking. He knows He's about to be arrested. He knows He's about to be crucified. He's not asking for that load to be lightened. He's not asking for strength and death. He doesn't even ask for encouragement. He simply says there, and He epitomizes that when He says there, not my will, but thine be done. All He is asking is that the Father is glorified. Now, when He gets to praying for those disciples and He gets to praying for the church there in the remainder of that chapter, He asks seven distinct things. Seven in Scripture is the number of completion or the number of perfection there. He's asking seven things there. And we'll look at those more in detail. But those seven things, each one of them, is a progression there. Each one of those seven things that He asks for uh, progressively shows there uh, how, how uh, shows the steps on the road uh, to spiritual joy there, to spiritual fulfillment. And He's asking those things for the disciples. Now, when we get to that, ver- uh, verses 1-5, through five, what we'll try and look at tonight, when we see here what Jesus is talking about, what He is asking for there, He, makes, uh, he shows us five, five things there uh, that He's dealing with there. Five things concerning uh, Himself there about the prayer. First of all, it was selfless. That prayer there, He asked nothing again uh, for the benefit of Himself there. He asked it simply uh, for the glory of the Father. It says, Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. It was selfless. It was also full of strength. Again, He does not ask for any type of intercession from God the Father to lessen the load of Calvary. He does not ask for God to take Calvary away from Him. Remember, as we come there, there is no contradiction in Scripture when He is in the garden. And He is asking, He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. He was not asking God the Father to take Calvary away 
Christ was not scared of Calvary. He willingly went to Calvary tonight. Friends, when we think about that, again, when He spoke and He said, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am He. Literally in the Greek there, the words just, I am. He was saying, I am that I am. That power there knocked them to the ground and He waited for them to get back up. He was not scared of Calvary. What He was asking when He said, If it's possible for this cup to pass from Me. What He was asking... What he was saying was that separation that him and God the Father were going to have there for the first time in all of eternity. First and only time Christ was going to know what sin felt like. Christ was going to have not only the sin of one person, but the sin of the entire world, past, present, and future, placed on His shoulders there, placed on His account there. He was going to take that and He was going to to bear that sin for you and I. He became sin for us is what 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 21 says, and He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Friends, He was willing to die for us. It was selfless. It was full of strength there. It was full of strength there friends he went there with that sole purpose Uh, the bible tells us in matthew 20 and verse number 28 he said uh, that the son of man uh, come not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many that was the whole purpose of it he was sure he was steadfast in what he was going to do there was no doubt about there was no plan b there was no uh, calvary was not a byproduct it was exactly what christ came for he was sure about it there was satisfaction in it friends the son's glory lied solely in the glory of the father He cared nothing for his own self he never one time uh, sought out the praise of himself The only time, if you study that scripture, the only time he even mentioned himself as being from above was to the doubters who associated him with being nothing more than the carpenter's son. And he would clarify who he was, that his father was from above and that they knew not that father. Friends, do you realize tonight uh, Jesus' favorite term or his favorite name for himself is found in the book of Luke. It was the term son of man. It is used 80 times. Some 80 times in that gospel there. That Son of Man signified His humanity. It signified His humility there. Showed Him to be humble. He did not seek to glorify Himself. He sought to glorify the Father. Holy Spirit does the same thing today. Holy Spirit does not glorify Himself. He only glorifies uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when you see somebody that tells you, That you have to, the only way to be saved is if you receive Christ and then you receive the Holy Spirit. What they refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you speak in tongues and you prophesy. Friends, do you realize that's false doctrine tonight? When you say, what you're saying there is you're putting a gift, you're saying that Christ is not enough. That you can receive Christ, but until you receive the Holy Spirit after that, And until you receive that gift of tongues, that gift of prophecy, you're not saved. Friends, when you're saying that, what you're saying is Jesus is not enough. You realize tonight you cannot have God the Son without having God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. You can't separate the three. They're a perfect trinity. And when you receive Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, He is your advocate. He's uh, he's the one who uh, pleads your case there. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and dwells on the inside of you, lives inside of you, and the Father is the one who adopts you into that family, friends. It is a threefold work of the Holy, uh, the triune God there and none of it can be separated tonight. There was satisfaction in Him doing the Father's will and there was also 
sublimity there. He was sublime there. In John 6 and verse number 38 there he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. His whole desire was to do the Father's will. His whole desire was to fulfill that law that was broken by man. God's perfect law. And He came there and did that just for you and I. Friends, uh, Jesus come there again a beautiful prayer. He does not pray for Himself. He prays for God. Uh, he prays uh, again for... Let me rephrase that. He does not pray for His own glory. When He prays for Himself, that one request is that the Father would be glorified. Uh, notice again in verse, uh, verses 1-5 through five there, you see the posture in the prayer that He lifted up His eyes. Lifting up their eyes as it was common practice at that time. We think about Solomon. When he dedicated the temple, the Bible says that he stood. Arms, arms facing upward, head towards heaven. That seems strange to us because when we pray, out of reverence, we've been taught there that the church today, we bow our head, we close our eyes there, we realize we cannot see there. In Jewish time there, that, that practice there, that, that uh, phrase of respect there, that reverence, it would be the hands pointed upward signifying we had nothing to bring to God. They're signifying they were empty apart from God. When they were looking up there again, they were looking to Him. That was their help. That was their strength. That's the one that they were seeking after there. And when uh, Jesus comes, He lifts up His eyes in respect there. It's speaks of, uh, not only it shows a symbol of respect, but it shows a symbol of rest there. His comfort, His grace, His strength was found in God the Father there. That posture that we see in His prayer. We also see the person for the prayer. No less than five times, Jesus addresses God as His personal Father, as His Father. Again, salvation is personal tonight. Over and over again we read, my God, it is a personal God there. Paul speaks of it many times, my Savior, my Lord. That, friends, again, no one gets to heaven on someone else's coattails. There's an old saying that God has no grandchildren. It is, salvation is personal today. No matter if you were raised in a Christian home or not, no matter if your uh, family uh, greatest Christians on the face of the planet, unless you personally have accepted Christ, it does you no good there. Christ here, in that relationship, He shows that intimacy there uh, with God the Father. He shows that association. The Jews there, uh, the Pharisees, they had uh, claimed God the Father based solely on the fact that they were born in the seed of Abraham. They were base, uh, basing it on national right. Uh, they, they, at one time they had told Jesus, they said, we have Abraham for our father. And Christ responds and said, God is able to raise up from these stones children that have come from Abraham. He said, it's not flesh, but it's that spirit there, that posture, that prayer there. Again, the recognition, it shows humility, it shows surrender. Christ is co-equal with God the Father, but He was fully surrendered to God the Father. Now, if you ask me to explain that, I have to be honest with you, I can't. I don't know of anybody, to be honest with you, who can. When you have a co-equal triune God, there is absolutely no jealousy among them. But there is a, a, a difference of... Let me think how I can phrase this. There is a difference in how they work, so to speak. God the Father, again, uh, He is Spirit. He is, uh, you will never, uh, there's never a reference given to God the Father uh, physically manifesting Himself on this earth. Anytime you see a human attribute that is given to God, and whether it speaks of the hands or the feet or the voice or the body of God, you are talking about the second person, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you have the Holy Spirit there, again, you have one that is the comforter, one that uh, comes and fills us. You have the one uh, who enables. 
The Holy Spirit is that power that enables there, that person that enables, but they are all three co-equal. There is no, again, no jealousy. There is no uh, lack between them, but there is a difference in in the administration that they do there and the work that they do. Uh, Jesus here recognizing that. Showing again that great humility there. Showing again that He came to do the will of the Father, not because the Father was more God than Jesus is, but simply because the Father gave the command and Jesus was the sacrifice and He willingly came and did that. The, the posture, the person that's being talked about, the perception there, again in verse number 1 when He says, Glorify Thy Son that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. Uh, again He says, as, as uh, Thou hast given Him power over all flesh there. The word power literally means authority. It is a different Greek word that is used in Romans 1.16 where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation all who believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That word power that's used in Romans 1.16 speaks of might, speaks of strength. It speaks of of, of that, uh, again, that that might there that's being used. That that word there is the Greek word dynamos uh, there. It's where we get our English word dynamite from. But the word that is being used here speaks of authority. Christ had authority. Christ was given authority when He says there over all flesh. What He is talking about there, the flesh there in the Bible is referred to in a threefold meaning. Let me explain what I'm saying here. First of all, it is used to mention mankind, simply meaning human, uh, uh, the presence of human beings there. In Acts 2 and verse number 17, I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh, on all humans, on all people. It is also used to express... Um, uh, our physical nature there. Uh, it says, For uh, spirit hath not flesh and bones, is what he said there in Luke 24 and verse number 29. It is also used to expe- express a carnal nature. All right, that, that, that fleshly nature there. The Bible says, They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8 and verse number 8 there. What Jesus was saying when he says he's been given power over all flesh, what he is talking about is both the physical nature. He is talking about power over all human nature, and he is talking about the power over all carnality. He is—he has got dominion. He's got authority over all of those things there, and because of that, there, uh, Christ has that power. He's exalted over all three of those things, and because of that, he can be that savior there. He is that redeemer. He has purchased. Uh, he's able to purchase us back because he's got the authority over all things that are fallen there. And he talks about again uh, that he has uh, power over all flesh. Now he goes on to say that he, excuse me, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. This verse causes a lot of problems for people because he says that thou shalt give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. You say, preacher, how many has God given him? Only God knows that answer. This is a whosoever gospel. The Bible is very clear. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3 and verse number 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering us, word, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. This is a whosoever gospel. But that does not change the fact that God is sovereign and He knows who will and won't re- receive Him. He knows who will and won't reject Him. And he is, that, that does not mess up the plan of God. You and I today are called to go out to the world. We're called to witness to every person we come in contact with because we have no idea who will or won't receive the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Our commission is to go into all the world. Go ye into all nations, is what the Bible tells us. Preach the gospel to every creature, literally every creation. That's what God has commanded us to do. But God Himself knows who will and won't be in there. God is not going to be surprised at who is in heaven and who is in hell. He is not going to be surprised at the person who receives Him or rejects Him. He is sovereign. He knows every detail, the end from the beginning. And just because He knows that does not mean that that takes away our responsibility. He will give eternal life to as many as receive Him, to as many as as humbly receive His Son, Jesus Christ, there. But again, that verse has caused uh, many problems for people today. Notice not only the perception, but we see the petitions in the prayer. He said, glorify Thy Son. Glorify Thy Son there. Uh, Literally, uh, a consummation of the work that is being done there, that the Son may also glorify Thee. That's, uh, as we talked about before, the sole purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ is to glorify God the Father. In glorifying God the Father, he, he, brings into the, he brings those into the kingdom that would receive Him there, and God is honored with that. We see there, uh, again, the position that is being talked about in that prayer. It is a position of authority there. He says, Thou hast given Him power. Again, that word authority there. Uh, the, aim of our, uh, the, the aim of our flesh that they should all uh, be saved there. And as many as receive Him would be saved. Christ's whole purpose in these five verses that is being talked about. Christ's whole prayer. What amazes me is that selflessness in that prayer. You and I tonight many times, many times we come and we pour out our heart to God and before we know it, we bring a list to God of the things that we need. You say, preacher, is that wrong? No, we're supposed to bring our needs to God. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is when we go to the world and try and seek Him on our own. What's wrong is when we try and fix problems without bringing God into it. What's wrong is when we fail to pray. But I notice here again, when we see it, it just shows the, the, uh, the, the tremendous nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, the tremendous person of Him, that even though He is getting ready to face the worst hour that is coming to Him, He is still selfless. In that he has no, uh, he looks past the cross. He looks past Calvary, and he looks to that throne there. He sees uh, not the, not the crucifixion, but he sees the glorification that comes after it. He sees the end result there, the redemption of man and the purchase of our salvation. And Calvary is not his is not uh, something that he's so worried about. He's more concerned about you and I tonight. That's a selfless prayer. That's amazing when we think about God's love for us tonight. Friends, let me, I'll give you a simple illustration. God forbid this were to happen. I don't, I'm just using this illustration. But could you imagine if you woke up tomorrow, said, I don't feel well. I'm going to go to the doctor. And that doctor goes and runs that blood work and says, I'm sorry, but you're ate up with cancer and there's nothing we can do. Could you imagine how hard you would pray for yourself and the the, the feeling of gloom and despair that would come over you? Could you imagine how much worse it would be if you knew it ahead of time? If you had the ability to know, you said, I'm going to the doctor tomorrow, I know what I'm facing. I know there's no hope. Could you imagine how much worse that would make it? Here Christ knew what was coming. 
And all through this, as we looked in chapter 16 and we looked in chapter 15, as he's talking to them, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When he gets to chapter 16, he is telling them that you've not asked anything yet in my name. Learn how to pray, learn how to ask those things, and God will grant it to you. Friends, what he was doing was preparing those disciples. He was not worried about himself. That's amazing tonight. I, I couldn't imagine... Having to, when we read in the book of John, three simple words are used there to describe the agony that Christ went through before the cross. It says, they scourged Him. They don't go into detail. But when we study that Scripture out and we study uh, what took place at that time and we look at what Christ went through there, that whip of cat and nine tails. Do you know anything about that whip that that cat of nine tails? What that was, was literally uh, pieces of leather, straps of leather, anywhere from six to twelve feet long there. And at the end of those straps, there would be pieces of bone fragment and rock, and there'd be pieces of glass that were in there. And they would weave them in between uh, those straps there. And those soldiers, when they scourged the back of someone, they would take that thing and they'd snap it just right. They practiced this so that when it hit that person, it not only whipped them, but it sunk in. And they snatched that thing back to make sure it sunk into that body. Friends, he took that over and over and over again. After that, they mocked him and put that robe on his back. Could you imagine having your back, your whole body split wide open? And then putting that robe, that, that, uh, uh, that fabric robe that was going to dry and, and it was going to scab. And they put that on their mockery and they took those thorns. Friends, we're not talking about thorns that we see around here that are little tiny rosebush thorns. We are talking about thorns that are anywhere from four to six inches long. And they plated that crown of thorns and put it on his head. Friends, they didn't place it on there lightly. They jammed that down on his head and they took that staff, that reed, and smacked that thing down on his head there, literally piercing in between the skull and the skin there and separating those things, causing hemorrhaging. That was before he went to the cross. They snatched that robe off. They plucked his beard out, spit in his face. He said, Preacher, why are you telling all this? Because I want you to understand what Christ did and the fact that he did not pray for God to take that away from him. I love one of my favorite verses in Scripture. is Matthew 26, 53 and 54. Where Peter, oh Peter, jumped the gun. Pulled that sword out and struck Malchus. The high priest's servant struck his ear. Cut that ear off there. He thought he was going to fight his way out of that thing. And Jesus looks at him and says, put it away. He said, thinkest thou that I could not call upon my Father, and He presently sent me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then shall the Scripture be fulfilled? A legion, if you know anything about a legion, it was anywhere from four to seven thousand that were involved in a legion. That was a term, that was a military term used to, to group soldiers. What Christ was saying is, don't you realize that I could call upon my Father, and He'd send me innumerable angels to take care of me. He said, don't you realize I don't have to go to Calvary? I choose to. Friends, when we think about the love that God gave us and the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ made, this was not just, some, this was not just an ordinary man. 
This wasn't somebody like you and me. Friends, Christ has never been born. From eternity past, from the ages past there, He has forever been in the presence of heaven, in the presence of God the Father, seated at that throne. He has forever enjoyed and inhabited the praise of angels. They have always been around crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And yet He left behind the glory of heaven. And He came down, born in a manger, uh, limited Himself, humbled Himself as a man. And His sole purpose was to come to Calvary and to buy back our redemption. Friends, that kind of love is absolutely unimaginable tonight. That kind of sacrifice is absolutely uncomprehendable to this, this finite, limited human mind. He gave that for you and I. And as He prays this great high priestly prayer, as He prays there, and He mentions these five verses from uh, praying for Himself there, it is never one time, God, make it easier on me. It is God, help me to glorify You. Let me glorify You. His one request, and I'll close with this. Give me just one minute, and I'll close with this. His one request in verse number 5. If you write in your Bible, circle verse number 5. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. All Christ wanted, all He prayed for, was that He would go back and get back that glory that He had from eternity past. All He wanted there was after He laid down His life, paid the cost of man's sin, stayed there, uh, dead, buried three days, rose again, is that He ascended unto the right hand of the Father and that He would be back in that place of glory that He once had, that place of fellowship, that place of intimacy, that place of perfection that He once had. That's all He wanted back. Friends, do you realize tonight that Christ has prayed that we could be right there in that place of intimacy with God the Father. He paid the cost tonight so that what was once held back what was once only attainable to the high priest and only for a short time. He says that they might know Thee, the one true God. Friends, up to this point, up to this point, that was reserved for only the very elect. Only the priest could minister, only the high priest could go into that Holy of Holies. And only one time a year, only briefly, and he had to come right back out. What Christ was giving us was an open invitation to come to the very throne room of grace, do you realize tonight if you're saved that you can come into the very presence of God the Father not just one time a year, but any time you want to. Not just for a brief moment, but for as long as you want to stay. Friends, Christ made that possible for us tonight. What an awesome God we serve. I ask you tonight, when was the last time you spent time with God? When was the last time you got into this book? Not just to say you've read a chapter. Not just to study a Sunday school lesson, but just to be alone with God. Just to have that fellowship and that intimacy with Him. Friends, if you're not spending time with God, you're missing out on what He has for us. He wants us to come and just to be with Him. Remember, Martha worked. Mary worshipped. Martha complained. But Mary communed. And Christ said, it will not be taken from her. What about us tonight, friends? Do we spend time in the presence of God? Do we come where He is 
And do we do What about when we come to Wednesday night service? I know there's not but a handful of us here on Wednesday night. And I, I friends, it, some of the sweetest services we've ever had are here when it's just a handful of folks that just want to spend time with God. It, it, it doesn't have to be a large crowd. It, but friends, if we come for the right reason, boy, God will come and meet with us. What an awesome God we serve tonight. Let's all stand heads bowed and eyes closed.